0: friends, life is a spiritual battle. And one of the things that being on mission, being a part of a church like Living Hope reminds us is that the battle is different in different places. When we go into East Asia, often our teams will go into uh, these, these pagan temples and get a real sense of the lostness and the desperation of these folks who don't know the one true God. And from that perspective, they're able to see that the battle is real. There is a real spiritual battle that is taking place. And every year at this time of year, we receive the gift for Christ so that we can provide resources, financial, so that we as a church family can send missionaries, our people to go partner with our partners, those missionaries that are members of our church that live on different places in the globe. That that right there is a, is a place in the world where there's 1.3 million people and there's no believers amongst them and we have the opportunity to go and take the gospel there. 30 different language groups that there is no translation of the Bible in. There's no, there's no mention of Jesus taking place in those villages today. But we can be a part of taking the gospel there. We're almost at $300,000 with our gift for Christ. We're, we're near our goal but not. haven't met it yet. So continue to pray. Continue to give. And be mindful that maybe God's going to have you go this year maybe to Southern Europe, maybe to East Asia, maybe to West Africa, maybe any number of our, our, our points on this planet where we're to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what will happen when you go. You will see the battle in a new way which will help you understand the battle that we're fighting here in North America. See, we have grown accustomed to secularism. We, we get comfortable with our setting, with our world, and we forget that the world is not as it should be. And we come to terms with it often. We just say, you know what, that's just how it is, and and we just need to accept it. No, we don't. No, we should not. Our world and our lives are filled with conflict, anxiety, and frustration. And here's why. Because there is a darkness and an evil that is at work in our world, and we should never be comfortable with that. We should always be fighting against it. Now, what we typically do is we look at the people that are causing for us, conflict or anxiety or frustration, and we want to do battle with them, but we're missing it. That's not the battle. Our battle is beyond the person. Our battle is what is pressing the people to be uh, the the, the hurtful, hateful, broken people that they are. This is the way the Bible describes it in Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle that is taking place, and we're right in the middle of it. And we have to choose sides. We may have to make a determination about who we're going to fight with and what it is we're going to fight for and why we're going to be engaged in this battle. And what we learn at Christmas What we see in this season is what God has chosen to do. That God has chosen not to just simply let the world go by in this broken condition, but instead God has chosen to enter into the battle. And when Christ came, he came and he defeated our enemies. And so now we can engage with him with the light he gives and the love he gives and live out what it is we were destined to be, what we were created to be, people made in the image of God. Loving God, loving ourselves, loving others. And that only happens as we fight the good fight of faith. And today, as we look at our text, I want us to be reminded that there is peace. God has given us peace. Yes, we're in the midst of a battle, but even in the battle, we have peace. And this peace has come, and it's going to come again. This peace that we have now is peace for our lives. When Christ returns, he's going to bring peace to the whole world. And what we see in this Christmas time is the promise of that. And what we're doing here at Living Hope is we're studying the prophecy of Zechariah found in Luke chapter 1. If you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, take it out and turn to Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab a few Bible like I did, because I set mine down, and it is somewhere in this building. And so, if you find mine, just give it back to me. There's some notes in there I'd like to keep. But let's go to... uh, Luke chapter 1, and uh, Caroline Freeman's going to read for us. Caroline, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. She's going to read for us the entire prophecy. Pay close attention to verse 71. That's what uh, that's what I'm going to be focusing on this morning during our time of teaching. So Caroline, if you would uh, begin in verse 68 and read all the way through verse 79.
1: Might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sin in darkness. And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of
0: peace. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Caroline. If you would, go ahead and and be seated. Understand, peace has come. And peace will ultimately come again. And there will be peace on earth. But right now, what we can enjoy is peace in our lives. And we've got to understand how that peace occurs. God did not come to make a treaty with the evil and with the enemy of our soul. God came and defeated the enemy. And the reason we have peace is not because God made a peace treaty, but because he has overthrown and defeated the enemy. I I read a a devotion every day, Streams in the Desert, and and I appreciated uh, one of the, the, the poems that was in there this week. It says, A peace there is in sacrifice secluded, a life subdued from will and passion free. It's not the peace that over Eden rooted, but that which triumphed in Gethsemane. We no longer have the peace of Eden. We will have that when the Lord returns, when he makes all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. But now, though, we do have peace. And that peace comes because of the work of, of what Christ did in Gethsemane, when God overcame sin and death through the cross and through the resurrection. Our victory comes because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And so what we have today is a peace in the midst of a war. The battle has been won, but there is still a darkness that is overruling. Now, our God is sovereign. He is powerful, and he is in control. But there is an evil that is at work. And despite the fact that there is an evil, and there is conflict, and there is the temptation for anxiety and frustration, we can have. Now there are going to be days when you and I will feel very overwhelmed. There are going to be days, and some of you are in these days right now, where you feel maybe overmatched. Let me remind you that our God is greater than whatever it is you're facing. And his victory is sure. Let's remember what God said to Israel. Remember, Israel was rescued. And we see the picture of the gospel and what God did for, for Israel in, in saving them from Egyptian slavery. They were in bondage. And God sent a leader to rescue them out of their sin. And, and then he said, I am with you. I'm going to provide for you. Our salvation is in Christ. And the promise is still sure. Look at this. This is Deuteronomy 20. Don't miss the principle that, that, that we land on at the very end says, when you go out to, to war against your enemies, and again, that's what the Christian life is. That's what it is to live in peace. It's to go out every day and fight against darkness and conflict and suffering and pain and hate and, and, and anxiety and frustration. That's the battle. He says, so when you go out to war against your enemies, and see horses and chariots and an army larger than young, you see circumstances that are beyond your control, see uh, situations that you think, no way this can be saved. No way this marriage can be saved. No way this family can be brought back. No way that friendship can be restored. No way those businesses are ever going to be able to get along. No way those governments, no way the racial divide in this nation, no way any of these things can ever be overcome through the peace of Christ. And he says, look, when you see what is bigger than you? What is, has been going on forever? When you see this battle, listen, and, 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 and then your own. You shall not be afraid of it, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The one who has provided victory through the cross and through the empty grave of the resurrection. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, "Hear, O Israel! Today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart be faint." Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, and so that is our truth today. As we go out into this world today, let's go living hopeful, being helpful, not because we're great, but because our God is, because he is defeated the enemy, and remember, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Our victory is not in our willpower. Our victory is not in our government policies. Our candidates, our victory is not found in anything we can do. Our victory is found in Jesus Christ, who came to this world, born of a virgin, lived a holy life, defeated sin through his death, and was victorious over the grave. Why? Because of his love. Friends, no matter what you go through, remember, God loves you. He is all-powerful, and he loves you. So long as you know that, and you know the power of His love, you can have peace. What do we know about His love? Romans chapter 8 tells us, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we are loved by God, and God is greater than anything you and I will ever face, and because of the victory that He has secured through defeating sin and death, we can have peace in every circumstance. We can have peace in our hearts, even though there's not peace in the world. We can have peace in our lives, in our relationships, because of what Christ has done. Remember, God has come to rescue us. And the reason why we have this victory is because of what God has done. And what God has done, what God has done is so clear to the human soul. And here's how we know this. Here's how we know that the story of the Bible is true. It's because every time we see a movie or read a book or hear a story that, that, that really thrills our soul, we see the same plot line that we discover in the Bible. Think about one of your favorite movies. It's not true of all movies, but almost all movies. Think about one of your favorite movies. It probably goes something like this. There is a, there's a girl or, or maybe a friend who is in danger, and there's an evil that has captured them. Uh, Maybe it was a dragon that, that went and got the princess, right? And so then there's a hero that rises up, and that hero is willing to go into the midst of conflict and danger. That hero leaves the castle, the prince leaves the castle, and goes and fights the dragon. And a great sacrifice, the dragon is defeated. The princess is set free. And in the in the face of danger, the friend goes into a hostile climate. Uh, Private Ryan has been lost. And so there's a band of brothers. There's someone who has to come in and a great sacrifice to be able to set that brother free so that so that he can live and so that he can have life. And what is at the end of almost all the stories? Whenever we read these stories that we love so much, that we've loved since childhood, we still love the movies every day. They all end the same. You can probably say it with me. And they live story of the Bible. The Bible's not a collection of stories it's not a collection of sayings it's a single story that tells about the rescue operation of God. We understand the Bible's in four parts creation that God made everything to be in harmony but the dragon came and we were captured in, in, in bondage and slavery of sin and that's why the world is in the condition it's in is because we've been deceived and now we're enslaved to sin and that's why there's so much conflict and frustration and anxiety and pain but God chose to enter into our world and to bring victory and so now we can have peace in our lives, but one day there's going to be peace in the world when he restores all things. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of Christmas. This is the story of reality. And what Christmas shows us is the rescue that Jesus Christ is the victor. And so as we look at our text today, as we look at verse 71, two things to notice about the fact that Jesus is our victor. Because Jesus is our victor, two things. 1st one, going to write this. We are saved to live victoriously in Christ. We're saved to live in the victory. In verse 71, look what it says. That, which, that we should be saved from our enemies. Now, what are our enemies? I've already mentioned them. There's two. There's two of our greatest enemies are sin and the consequence of sin, death. Christ has come and has defeated both of those foes. We were once slaves to sin. We were once deceived and captured by sin. But because Christ came, He came and He rescued us and He liberated us from sin, so that we can become in bondage to the very thing that we were made to be, which is righteous. We read about this in Romans chapter six, beginning in verse sixteen. It says, "Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey?" Now let me pause you for just a minute. Let me help you understand something. If you're living in sin, if you are living out the desires of your flesh, you're not living free. You're living in bondage. You are in bondage to the desires of your flesh. You're not living out the life that God made you to live. You're living out a life that you're willing to accept. You're willing to accept second best other than what God intended for you. And you got to stop. God wants more for you. And that sin, that deceitfulness, that brokenness, that pain—God loves you. He wants a life for you that that is able to be blessed, and so He has come to set us free. So, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Again, thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having been set free because of the victory, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now you are compelled and capable of living out the life God made you to live. This is the victory of Christ. And so not only do we have the victory over sin, but also its consequence, death. Because Christ Jesus has been raised, so we too, the moment we die, we enter into the presence of God forever. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have the freedom of knowing that though we die, surely we will live. Let me remind you of biblical math. The biblical math tells us this, live once, die twice. If you only live once, that is, if you're only born once, and everyone in this room has been born physically, if that is the only life that you ever experience, you're going to die twice. You're going to die a physical death, and then you're going to die an eternal death, which is hell. That's what that's what hell is. It's it's eternal death. It's dying while alive. It is misery. And and if you if you're only going to be born once, you're going to have to die twice because of sin, because of the responsibility you have before holy God. But look at this: you live twice, die once. Born not only physically, but born again spiritually. To come alive to Christ, to accept His grace, to receive Christ's life into you, gives you eternal life. When you repent and turn away from your capacity and trust in the victory of Christ, you're born again. You have a new life. You have two lives. You're born twice. You're born physically, you're born spiritually, and you'll only die once. You'll die a physical death, but then that will be like birth pains into an eternal rest with Christ Jesus forever. This is the victory of God. And so in light of that victory, three things I want you to get quickly. First one is this. Don't don't grow weary in doing good. Christ has come to set you free from sin. Christ has come to give you eternal life. And while you're living in this personal peace you have, in this dark war world where there's a spiritual war, don't grow weary in doing good. Yes, it's going to be a mess out there. Yes, when you're dealing with people, you're going to be dealing with messes because people are messy people. Some of you parents, you understand this. you have messy people. They've been at school, but now they're going to be home for Christmas break. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to create a mess. Don't pick them out, all right? It's not only against the law. It's not right, okay? They're going to come in, these children, they're going to come and you're going to have them clean up a room and you're going to leave and you're going to go be gone for 15 minutes and come back. And guess what? You're going to find a whole other mess. That's what people do. Some of you have grown ups. They're, they're, they're called college students. They're going to be coming home soon and they're going to make a mess because they've forgotten where the sink is. And they think that their personal maid is going to be putting their cup away. And where does all this laundry come from? Listen, don't give up, all right? Keep cleaning, keep working do the same in this world. Friends, the, the world is a broken place. There's messes all around us. Seems like no sooner have we cleaned up one mess than another mess appears. Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep being salt and light. Keep being the preservative. Keep being that light of hope in your world. Keep on showing that love. Keep on being the peacemaker. Uh, don't grow weary of doing good. And second, don't get exasperated with cultural challenges. Understand that this world is going to get worse. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than loves of God. And that's not just your children, right? That's all of us. That's the way way of the world. And in the midst of this brokenness, broken people are going to break things, hurt people. Hurting people are going to hurt people. And and this is the way of the world. But Listen, don't get exasperated. Don't get frustrated. Let me tell you two things I would tell you to do. First of all, expect it to be hard. Expect, Expect bad things to happen in this world. And when good things happen, be grateful. The best way I can illustrate this is to tell you is to be like a baby fan. Expect bad things to happen to your football team. Expect that you're going to lose. Expect that there's going to be losses. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be pain. But understand, every now and then, there's going to be a year when the University of Tennessee comes to Nashville, and they take that convict orange, and they go away with a loss, right? And and those are good days, so embrace those good days because they don't come often, but when they do, enjoy them, but expect expect it to be hard. Expect difficult days, and when good times come, don't expect them to stay. WKU fans, you understand how bandy fans feel, right? You finally get something good, and then someone pays $20 million and takes it away, right? And that's how it works in the world. You get something good and sooner or later, the world comes and takes it away. That's the nature of the world in which we live. This is the spiritual war that we're battling. There's always difficulty, always conflict, always uh, temptation for anxiety, always temptation for frustration. But look, don't get exasperated. Don't grow weary in in doing good. And, And remember this, refuse to hate. Refuse to hate, but instead fight and win with love. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So continue to love. Love the way God has loved us. That's what he has set us free to do. Uh, Remember, we've got to engage with love. And so the second thing to see in our text today, that because Christ is our victor, we are saved to love unconditionally in Christ. We can love, we can love our enemies the same way God loved us. It says that we should be saved, look at that last part, from the hand of all who hate us. Listen, God has saved us from darkness and he's made us children of light. And darkness hates the light. Because light vanquishes darkness. And so the darkness wants to contain the light, to remove the light, to take the light away because because of what it does. And so understand that the devil and the world he governs, they hate us. And and as it pertains to being hated, look, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Remember what Jesus said. Look what he said in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. What did the world do when God himself took on flesh? Crucified him. What did they do when truth was manifest in flesh and the truth revealed this amazing grace and power? They rejected it. They hated him. So, what do you think is going to happen to us when we choose to be light, to be salt, to be love? Well, hate is going to hate us. Hate's Darkness wants you to drive us out. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So, look, you want the world to love you? Stand contrary to biblical truth. Go out and call the truth a lie, and the world will love you. But if you're going to call truth truth, and you're going to speak of true truth, as as one philosopher has spoken of it, the world will not stand for that, especially not our world, our culture, North America. They will despise you for speaking the truth. And so understand, the world would love you its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you understand it. Remember again what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22. And you will be hated by all uh, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. As we understand the battle, it, the life is a spiritual battle, it's a spiritual war, and there are, it's not against flesh and blood, it, it's against a, a power a principality, and, and, and in this world there's broken people, and broken people break things. Hurting people hurt people. People filled with hate, hate. And so, when we have this hate, what are they going to do if they're in darkness? They're going to hate light. So, listen, understand. Don't be surprised, and and don't be seduced into thinking that your love is hate. Listen, as we go further along in this in this culture, and, and, and Christ becomes more and more sidelined, and, and the more and more we share the truth in love. The world is going to begin to use this thing. They're going to begin to say that, hey, you're you're using hate speech. You're saying something that I don't agree with, and so I think it's hateful that you're saying something that I don't think is true. And, and what we have to learn to do, church, is we've got to learn to speak the truth, but we've got to do it in a certain way. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. Rather, say, read this out loud with me, speaking the truth in love. We have to speak the truth. But we don't do it with our finger pointed out in somebody's chest. We don't scream at people. We whisper. We, we embrace. We, we understand that the reason why folks are creating conflict and, and creating anxiety and frustration is because they're hurting. Because they're in darkness. And, and darkness isn't driven out by darkness. It's driven out by light. And we understand their hate because the one who rules this world, who's enticed them, it's a being of hate. But we can't drive out hate with hate. That takes love. And so we have to love. And we got to do it in a very practical way. A few months ago, I heard a story. that really struck me. It's a man. I didn't see him, but I understand as they described him on the radio program. He's a very large guy. His. His friends, uh, he would joke with him about how big and kind of intimidating he was. He wasn't a very handsome guy. He was really gruff. And then, few years ago, he, he found out about the gospel. He found out about Jesus Christ, and he was saved. And, and coming to saving faith, it altered his identity, and he began to care about people he didn't care about before. And there was a certain group of people because of uh, certain situations in his life. That, that he began to get very convicted about, and so he began to want to to show them love. He began to care about about women who were faced with an unwanted pregnancy. And being a Christian, he had heard that there were other Christians who would show up to places where where women would go to kill their baby, and they would scream at them, and they they would yell at them, and there would be people on the other side screaming and yelling back at them. And in and his mind, he couldn't reconcile. He thought this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This doesn't show the love of God, and so. He began to go to this place in his city where there were millions of babies that, that, that over the last 35 years have been killed by their mothers. And so he began to go and, and he would talk to women and their boyfriends and husbands and, and partners and, and, and he would say to them, There's another way. You don't have to do this. And he would, this huge, big guy, intimidating, would be so tender and sweet to these women. And amazingly, over the past few years, many of those women and and, and their partners and their boyfriends have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then he ended up taking them to his church. And his church started a ministry to care for women and their children and and their partners uh, with love. Many of you will remember it was about this time last year I was talking to you about a deep conviction I was feeling uh, about... Women with unwanted pregnancies. And we went to Washington and, you know, we talked about that, that whole thing. And, and I began to pray and the elders began to pray about what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do more than show up to Washington in and, and March. And so we put together a team, uh, elders, trustees, a team of other leaders who began to give consideration to what living hope needs to do. Here we are in a college town, thousands of young women that we know Uh, Many of them are facing unwanted pregnancies. And what are we doing about it? We don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to help them. We're going to start showing the love of God to these women and those in their lives and begin to show them that there's another way, that there's a way of life, there's a way of healing, there's a way of hope. And it's going to be in conjunction with our connection, our, our counseling center, but, but we hope to have more details to share with you guys soon. But right now, I just want to ask you to pray and begin to pray about how you may be called upon to be a part of a ministry to care for women with unwanted pregnancies. Not to, not to talk down to them, but to lift them up in prayer. Not to just yell slogans, but to say true things like, God loves you, God's not abandoning you, there's hope in this circumstance. There's a way that God can use this situation. This is a ministry that's going to exist within our church, and, and I'm excited about it. And I hope that you're excited about it. I hope that you'll begin to pray about what maybe God is going to have us do, because what we've got to do is we can't be seduced into thinking that our love is hate. And we can't be surprised that the world hates us. And, and the last I would say is we can't be suckered into hating others. Please don't be suckered into this. Again, I go back to Martin Luther King Jr. Let this just smack you in the face because it smacks me. Look what he said. Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. God loved us at our lowest point. When did Jesus die for us? What does it say in Romans 5 eight? Look what it says. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did God love us the most? When we were at our worst. When do people need us to love them the most? When they are at their worst. Friends, let no one drag you so low as to hate them. Do not be suckered into hating 80, one. And if right now you have hate in your heart for any person, forgive. And don't do it out of willpower. Do it because God is forgiving you. How did God forgive you? A great sacrifice to Himself. He had to die in order for us to be forgiven. You know what some of you are going to have to do to forgive? You're going to have to die to your pride. You're going to have to die. To your leverage that says, I'm right and they're wrong. You're going to have to die and humble yourself and say, you know what? I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to let this stand in between our relationship. As far as it's up to me, I forgive you. I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. And you know what will happen to you the moment you do that? You will experience doesn't mean that your circumstances are all of a sudden going to be fixed. But you know what it does mean? You will have a right standing with God, a right standing with yourself, and you will be positioned to have a right standing with others. And you, though you may be in conflict, will have peace. And though even though you may be in an anxious situation, you won't be anxious because you'll have peace. And, and even though you may be in a situation that's frustrating, you won't be frustrated because you have peace. Because you know this, your God is bigger than whatever you're facing, and He loves you. He's defeated your greatest enemies. And because He loves you, you can love Him, you can love yourself, and you can love other people. And if that is true of you today, then you have peace in your life. If it's not true in your, in your, in your life today, no matter what else you have, you don't have peace. Because whatever it is you're clinging to, other than Christ, will soon be taken from you. Friends, the only hope any of us have is the victory of Christ. And we must receive that victory into our life. We must ask Him to love the way He has loved us. We must forgive the way He has forgiven. And we must stand up and choose to love those in this world, not grow weary, live hopeful, be helpful, help clean up this mess that is the broken world, and continue to be faithful to God as we choose to live in the light midst of our darkness. So today, some of you need help to do that. Some of you today, you're in the midst of, of, of fear, frustration, conflict, pain. Some of you actually have hate in your heart, and you know it. You need to come and get on your knees and say, God, set me free. Let me love the way you have loved, and let me have peace. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for every person who is here right now that you would grant peace. And the only way you can give that peace is through repentance. As we stop relying on ourselves and we stop trying to figure it out on our own and instead simply choose to trust you that you have defeated sin and death in us, that we have your life, and so we have your love, and we can give your love. We can give your forgiveness to others. So God, for any today who need to come and receive that love and forgiveness, running today who need the strength to give that love and forgiveness, who need to trust you with their circumstance today, hear them as they
1: pray to you, and give them peace. I ask this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen.